you are a burden to exist in this world. Yeah, I like that. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Do we just murder as a family? If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke, wasted time. Or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the superfly space guy, Mac. It's just Thanksgiving. The gore lover, Alexis. Hey, everyone. And the scream queen, Paris. I'm fine. This week, we're commemorating Thanksgiving by checking out a seasonal Blumhouse helm film currently streaming on Hulu. Before we break the wishbone, though, we have some follow-up. We recently reviewed James Wan's latest release, Malignant. Now, it was a deep, dark exploration of camp on on that episode, and some of us loved it, some of us left the episode still unsatisfied. But we wanted to hear what our listeners thought, and I'm actually personally surprised by the results myself. 14% of our voters gave it a hack and 86% gave it a slash, which is much less divisive than I was expecting. Oh, yeah, that sounds like overwhelming majority loved it. And that just doesn't track with what I generally heard from other people. I feel like I've met a lot of people who are like, everybody is hit or miss on it, but I personally loved it. So maybe are we in an echo chamber? Maybe. It wasn't a particularly small sample size either. We have a couple comments from our listeners. MJ said... Easily the best horror release of 2021 for me. This film showed me what could happen if the absurd campy horror of the 70s and 80s meshed together with the technical brilliance of modern horror. It's stylish, gruesome, and extremely bonkers, and I'm hoping this will remind other modern horror directors that while it's great to make horror that says something about the human condition, it's also great to make absolutely insane horror that's shallow yet entertaining as well. Slash, slash, slash. Shallow yet entertaining. What a great way to summarize a lot of these movies. What did you call me? A good time. We have another comment from our listener, Damien, who said, Okay, so I don't feel like it was quite as campy as I was led to believe from the pre-spoiler talk, but it was definitely an enjoyable movie. Me and my roommate literally called the twist pretty early on, but I definitely enjoyed the whole wild ride. The action-y stuff was definitely a bit much, and like usual, James Wan, the cops were not necessary. As in most horror movies, they're just there to uh, pad the body count. It's interesting to hear that... It wasn't as campy as we may have led them to believe. I don't know. I feel like this that movie reeked of camp. So I feel like uh, maybe, you know, how, like when you're doing color calibration on a monitor, you can like buy a little device. Maybe we all need to have like our camp detector like calibrated. <laughs> to be honest, when I read this comment, I thought to myself, because I'd listened to our episode as well. I think we just fixated a lot on the camp and maybe emphasized it a bit too much because when you watch the movie, the camp is almost a slow burn. It's not like, I don't know, it's not like Adam's family values from the top to the bottom. Oh, no, man. We had those little alien arms poking out from behind a curtain. <laughs> that, it, it was wild from the very beginning. Dramatic hospital on the cliff. And the way that doctor held that sniper rifle. Yes. Within like the first two minutes. Yes. You can't tell me that movie's not camp. Anyway, we have somebody else joining our camp this week, and it's one of our newest patrons, Alex Poet. Alex, thank you so much for your support. I look forward to reading one of your comments on a future episode. And that's our follow-up. Well, in past years, we've commemorated Thanksgiving by checking out zombie hordes in malls, a homicidal gang terrorizing a college student, and even a supernatural turkey. This year, though, we're looking at a film that's part of Blumhouse's Into the Dark television series. 
Now, Into the Dark is a horror anthology on Hulu that features two 12-episode-long seasons of feature-length films. This week, we're looking specifically at Season 2, Episode 2, which focuses on what many feel is the true spirit of Thanksgiving, a time of expressing gratitude for all you have and all you love. To capture that spirit in this film, a woman hires a pair of Thanksgiving reenactors to provide an authentic dinner experience for her loved ones, but things grow increasingly sinister, though when their guests refuse to break character. This week, we're talking about the 2019 film, Pilgrim. Now, what were you all expecting going into this? Well, listen, when I heard that it was called Pilgrim, my first thought was like, crazy Pilgrim bitch, very like 1800s, whatever years the Pilgrims happened. I don't know history or time. But then I also was like, maybe it's sci-fi because they love the word pilgrimage. And you know we're in a dark place when I'm hoping it's sci-fi. So I expected something very campy, similar to Thanksgiving, but somehow involving pilgrims. And I feel like now in this day and age, pilgrims, pilgrimage, like there's a lot of sometimes bad connotations. And like, I knew this was a Hulu original, so I figured that they would actually probably bring that out instead of it being more on the cheesy side. I didn't venture too far in my expectations, I will admit. I can get down with seasonal horror. Christie was a good movie. Blood Rage was an interesting and unique time. But Thanksgiving really soured and turned me off of the whole idea of Thanksgiving horror movies. So looking at this, I expected it to be technically proficient because Blumhouse. Sure. And I really loved the poster, but I didn't have high hopes or expectations. I really thought this might try to walk the line of camp but stay on the side of, well, why the hell are we here? Why did we make this? And I was pleasantly surprised that when I was watching this movie, I ended up feeling a little bit more favorable towards it the longer it went on, mainly because I recognized two people, one from My Bloody Valentine and Final Destination and the other from Hellfest, who allowed me to have some kind of like grounding in this movie. Like, okay, at least we have some maybe semi-competent people in here. I found that I wasn't really feeling it in the very beginning of things, but the more it leaned into the campiness that I slightly anticipated, the better I found it to be. I'm glad you were able to sum up your feelings because I had no idea what to expect like going into this. I didn't even, I like read the first three words of the blurb and I said, no, just hit play. So no expectations, but going into it, I mostly just felt pretty much the entire movie like, what the hell? That's that was my whole feeling the entire time. Like I wasn't, you know, confused about what was happening on screen, but like what was happening on screen and the way it was happening was just like I had no idea what was in store. It was all just kind of like, dang, this is not what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. Yeah, I feel like the majority of my feelings during this movie were like frustrated and also like confused. Because the setup for this movie is a real stretch. They really ask you to suspend your disbelief. They, they want you to check it at the door and say, hey, it's totally normal for you to invite house guests that surprise are staying for days. And also, hey, neighbor, I got a house guest for you to now host. And that's just going to be something you deal with now. Uh, there were a lot of times where there was a singular character who was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was very much relating to that character. The best way I can describe how I felt was trippy because of the camera movements, because of the vibes that I was getting. 
I just wasn't sure how I should feel, but it was a very disoriented feeling. And I think because maybe I had certain expectations and some of them were proven right, but maybe it was just, I don't know. To me, this movie was just put together in a weird fashion. It was. And you know, that's one of the things that actually disappointed me was I was really kind of disappointed that a movie could feel simultaneously slow and rushed all at the same time. And it's kind of like a topsy-turvy feeling because you feel like this is dragging, but at the same time, like you're just speeding through stuff. Like there's, you know, maybe that, that goes back to that word we used earlier where it just feels kind of shallow, but I just feel like, you know, it's, I was waiting for things to happen, but as things happened, it felt like we just wasted no time with them. That's interesting, Mac. I felt like when I started this movie, it was a tight 120 and I was here for it. I think it felt a little longer than that tight 120, uh, which I don't think I was particularly disappointed by. I was certainly surprised at almost every turn as, as to the direction the movie takes. At one point I was getting like Handmaid's Tale vibes. I was like, is this how the Handmaid's Tale started? I think the biggest surprise for me though is who ended up being my favorite character in this movie. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. What surprised me was how grounded this movie was in our times right now. Just with the technology, you know, they're having this family group chat and the way people interacted with other people, like talking about social media and all of that, it really surprised me how involved I was in the story because of that, because I felt like it was very present and for the moment. That's true. I think most films will do one of two things. So either shy away from the mention of social media or certain technology because they don't want to date the movie, but then others lean very hard into it to the point where it makes it feel disconnected. It makes it feel like it's totally lost in any semblance of reality. It gets really, really goofy at some points, but I think obviously overhearing your neighbor's talking shit about someone who tries so hard on social media to make their life seem together and real. I don't know any people like that. I don't think I know people directly who try to paint that picture on social media. And I don't think I know people who like pay that much attention to those people's social media. But I've heard it's a real thing. Oh, it's totally a thing for people to do that. I don't think we are because we're pretty chill humans. But I feel like people who are very anxious and, you know, care about what people think a lot are like that. I think it's a it's a universal thing now. It it's just a general fear of missing out that many people share. But I, I think what's worse is by this point, like the curtain has been pulled back. Like everyone knows that like social media is fake. Like you show the best parts of your life. Everyone knows it, but it still doesn't stop them from from that fear of missing out or from or from envy or jealousy. Because we're just human beings and sometimes you're just affected by that kind of stuff. But I think like we all know that it's that's not real life. I mean, it's someone's real life, but it's like one minute of it. I got to say, I was also very surprised by how well this was filmed. And Chris, I think I missed the Blumhouse memo because I actually wrote it down. I was like, this is filmed really well. It is filmed really well. And that's the interesting thing, because I was simultaneously surprised by how much better it was than I expected, while also being severely disappointed and how much it was missing the mark for me in other areas. So it's almost like I would hit this high of like, okay, some of this is actually hilarious. Hell yeah, I love Cody as a character. And then they just do this weird thing where they like have very odd 
pushes or zooms in on people like screaming or laughing and it just looks weird. It feels out of place, not like in an intentional artistic, I'm trying to make you an easy kind of way. It just, it, it felt like someone had gotten it 75% of the way there and they botched the last 25%. And I'm not saying that in terms of runtime. I'm saying, saying that throughout the whole film in terms of its quality, aesthetically, it looks good. Great split diopter shots, you know, really excellent cinematography in most places. But I think the biggest disappointment for me is that this movie is just Saw without the traps. The core element of Saw, cherish your life. Got it. Without the actual vehicle that makes people love Saw. So it's like a hollow shell of what another franchise is. And that was a huge disappointment for me. The antagonists have the same agenda. Similar agenda. Similar. And I I think that's what kind of removed any fear from the movie for me, because you you do get that vibe from from the antagonist. But like even the shots that you mentioned, where you get that like instant replay effect or you get that close up of someone laughing maniacally, it feels kind of cartoonish. So even even when the bad guys being the bad guy, I kind of laugh at him a little bit. But then their reasons for being the bad guy are utterly ridiculous and don't make any logical sense. And maybe that's how some antagonists are. They just they just do bad stuff because they want to do bad stuff and they don't have to make sense. But it, it didn't cause any fear in my heart. Yeah. In my notes, I put gross, but not scary at all. Yeah, this movie was not scary. Uh, I will say there's one element of this movie that gets very diddly that I found to be quite unsettling, and it escalated in ways that I was like, can we stop now, or is this where we're going? What's happening here? Uh, and that was mildly scary. I, I hear what you're talking about, and there is a point that you text me, and I was like, ooh, I wonder if you got into this certain point yet, and we both text each other this realization at the same time. But this movie isn't the least bit frightening, but I think it's one of those that isn't trying to dwell in this space of fear. And I think that's where I'm really troubled. I think it's because I can't tell what the exact tone is. A lot of it feels campy in the third act, which feels like just sheer pure entertainment value, which I get. Some of it in the beginning or some there's some other moments where it feels like it's trying to be a little bit more serious but at no point does it feel like it's legitimately trying to creep you out. It's more like it's just trying to string you along, like make you go along for the ride. But I don't think it ever paints a compelling enough picture to make me interested in seeing where that ride goes. It's very, it's a really bizarre feeling. I know that sounds a lot more negative than I than I mean for it to be. This movie is just such a mixed bag. And again, I think it all stems from the fact that even as it was going on, I have never seen pilgrims invited as house guests to stay and hang out with the family and see how things go. I have never seen the things that happen on paper happen in this movie, but it did not feel original because, again, it's Saul minus the traps. The agenda is there. The outline is there. I don't know. It's weird. To say that a movie about homicidal pig- pilgrims isn't original, but here we are. I, I'm going to still give it some points because of that. It's not fully original, but I'm going to give it some points. Because being able to theme something to a holiday 
successfully, you know, you get a little bit of credit because everyone goes for Christmas. Everything's Christmas. Every action movie, like franchise has to have like a Christmas special or something. And so that's the big one everyone goes for. Maybe, maybe Easter now and then, but Thanksgiving is a kind of a rarer one. And, and not that rare. It's, it's not uncommon, but it's not the target for holiday movies. I'll give them some credit for having a protagonist who's willing to take a crap all over Thanksgiving throughout the movie as well at the same time. So good for her. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not like wholly original, but it's, it's, it's not something I've seen on, on, on screen at all. Chris, um, I see where you're coming from. I didn't understand. Or see it, I guess, at first when you're talking about the Saul connection to this. So I see where you're coming from. But I agree with you, Mac. I thought it was pretty original. You know, I think it's awesome that they kind of expose this gruesome history of Thanksgiving. And although they don't give you all the historical facts, you know, I wasn't looking for that. But it's Thanksgiving. It really is. Not intended for the movie purposes, but in general. One would venture to say they didn't actually not unearth any dark history about Thanksgiving. Indeed. It was just homicidal people dressed up in pilgrim outfits. It was just the vibes. Honestly, <laughs> they kind of personified the false things that we believe about Thanksgiving. They were there like trying to tie back to the good, happy feeling that we all have about it without any kind of reference to the history of it. And one character makes a few like statements about it, but in general, our antagonists don't really care about being historically accurate. Yes, Mac. I did think when the character that you're referring to made those comments that that was going to be the direction that this went to, which I think would have been very original on its own. But what they ended up doing, there's definitely original elements for sure. There's a couple kills where I was like, oh, never seen that before. Don't know if I ever need to see it again, but... Uh, I think there's some points to be given out here, but Chris, you're right. It does, it does remind me now that you've pointed it out of like the gist of a lot of other movies that we've seen. And also just like the essence is familiar. It's also very culty. Pilgrim cults. Who would have seen it coming? Like the village or like the wrong turn reboot. Fear Street 1666. Oh, and the, and the ending ties into so many of those other kind of culty movies as well. You know, like the way in which it ends, the, the bad thing that happens at the very end um, that their characters are subjected to, it's like wrong turn all over again in kind of a way. But it's also like a little bit of Silence of the Lambs in a way. And it's also a little bit of something else in a way. And it just like, yeah, I mean, like the ending is its own thing, but at the same time, you could tie that back easily. Like, honestly, it reminded me of an episode of South Park. So the originality points it had up until the end, it kind of lost for me in the end. I I am curious. So part of this this whole thing is like that these characters are introduced as having been contacted online, yeah. and our you know our protagonist rather can't figure out where. And uh, I'm wondering if it's an age thing where they found on Craigslist, and then our protagonist just doesn't use Craigslist. The mom was exclusively on Facebook, so they probably weren't even looking there. It was probably just a group, like a real weird group, or maybe like a Facebook marketplace listing. Sounds more in tune to today's date. It was on a Facebook marketplace for sure. So after watching The Final Girls, now I'm starting to watch the movie all the way through, past credits, everything. So I'm not sure, had anyone seen anything post-credits? This time, yes. Okay, perfect. Oh, okay, no. I didn't. The video stopped for me. Where'd you watch it on? Hulu. Yeah, I think Hulu was trying to get me onto something else. Yes, that's what happened to me. It goes up next. 
Nope, that's not what happened for me. But Chris, I wonder, to me, that made the movie better and the ending better, seeing that, even though essentially it wasn't really part of the movie per se. But I was like, oh, this is connecting to something that we were told in the beginning of the movie, which I thought was a comedic element that turned out to be something a little bit more vicious. And I kind of liked the ending and I liked the movie more because of that. I can't say that it hit the same way for me. <laughs> I can't say that one bit. I, I'm glad I did that for you. That's fantastic. <laughs> I wish I had seen this because I feel like the ending left a lot to be desired and anything that could be added to it, I think would be a benefit. It felt the ending was kind of abrupt. Like the climax, obviously, yeah, all of that happened. It was kind of just chaos. But the way it ended, I was like, oh, really? Uh, okay, I guess I'll move on with my life. It was very abrupt. Paris, I think I struggled because I was ready for it to be over. So I didn't mind the abruptness. And I don't say that in like, wow, this is such a burden. Can this thing end already? I felt like the more we got into that third act, the better I felt the pacing was moving. So I felt like, okay, yeah, this feels like a good conclusion point. I'm, I'm, I'm done here. We've wiped out enough of the shenanigans that are going on here. Uh, there's been a lot of blood, a lot more blood in different ways that I wasn't really expecting. I uh, definitely seen some, some bodies in some states that I wasn't anticipating going into this, but it's Thanksgiving. Maybe I should have expected it, but I think the ending was, really redemptive for what I felt the rest of the movie kind of lacked. But we'll see how all these feelings shake out in our ratings. Now, before we get there, Alexis, how many people died in this film? We had a total of 15 deaths in this movie. And what about the animal report? There is one sad death in this movie that you see, a little gruesome, but it's okay. Well, I think going into a Thanksgiving movie, everyone expects some sort of avian death. Really? That's a, oh, well, because of turkey. I just, sorry, I was thinking of flying. Anything that flew, I Tur forgot. Turkeys to fly, but... They don't fly. Do turkeys fly? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> no one knows for sure. Well, let's go ahead and get into these ratings then. Pilgrim from 2019, was it a hack or a slash? Well, I'll just jump in and say it's a hack for me using a turkey carving knife. You know, this, this to me proves Ryan's previous statement that holiday horror movies are generally just bad. I watched this with my wife and we finished and she was like, man, that was a bad movie. So I'm glad, like, inside I was trying to figure out how I felt, like, do I give it credit for this and that or do I not? But I think it made some really strange choices in editing that truly bothered me. Um, it it did feel shallow, and I know it's only a tight 120, but we got 25%, you know, towards it. An antagonist that you might care about and might like believe some of their, some of their opinions on how people should live their lives, but like they just immediately threw it all away. And I think that was a wasted opportunity. Um, so no, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's a good movie. And I, I think it just like feels, I, I'm glad to know that it's part of a series. I didn't realize there was like 12 parts or whatever. I just thought it was a one off. Um, so thank you for that context. Well, it, it is a one off. It's an anthology. So it's not connected to anything else. Right. But it makes me feel better to know that they spent time and money and effort on a bigger picture, which is the, like the whole like set of them. Like, oh, we need to put out like, you know, a dozen different things versus like this was someone's like sole goal was to just make this movie. I mean, it was somebody's probably, but like, 
I feel a little bit better about the fact that like at least they were spreading it out across a couple of movies, but I just don't, I don't think it was good. I don't think like the camp that we got seemed really out of place for the rest of the movie, um, which was strange. I mean, it was funny. Like you would laugh at it for portraying it, but I just didn't find it really that enjoyable. Interesting. So the campiness to me just felt disjointed because I was torn between, okay, am I supposed to laugh, but everything's serious? But somehow I thought that was entertaining for me trying to figure it out. But maybe because I was hungover watching this, you know, I wasn't thinking too deep, you know, but I thought it was visually entertaining as well. I thought the acting was good. Now, I'm not saying this is the best movie ever. Probably a lot of people will hack it tonight. I might be the only slash, but I didn't think it was a total joke or a waste of time. I just think just depends on what you're expecting in this movie and what you're looking for. Also, because this is in the lineup, you know I love holiday-themed horror, and you will keep getting it. So I am so sorry. But this is a slash for me. Alexis, I think this is a prime example of how you are slash until proven hack. Um, and as we know, that's not me at all. Uh, when I started this movie, there's actually like a reference to another Hulu movie called Puka. Like in the child's room, there's like a Puka doll. Puka, if you haven't seen it, is a garbage movie about like some like stuffed animal that comes to life on around the holidays. It's in the series. I was wondering if that was the case. Uh, and when I saw that, I was like, that's a big red flag. That's Hulu referencing its own trash within trash. This movie is really well filmed, which was surprising to me because it was so bad. Uh, it was like taking a really beautiful picture of a piece of garbage with like a shallow depth of field and like a really like long exposure and it was like really nicely cared for and like a lot of like love was put into it but like the acting in this movie was not good the script was garbage um the concept was kind of promising like i could see this happening where this isn't a total hack but the setup was so bad like at one point there's three women like talking about the exact setup of this movie and it doesn't make a damn bit of sense you're really asked to think that nobody has any power against this one mom in the neighborhood who's making these choices taking people's phones and whatnot um but i will say towards the end i did start to like some of the things because i was like this movie is so ridiculous i mean it's a it's a holiday themed horror movie what can you expect um but ultimately this movie is a total joke and a waste of my time so it's a hack so i know i've been pretty rough on this movie so far but let me just say that there is a lot of good in it. I think, obviously, I'm one to enjoy holiday horror movies. I really enjoyed Krampus. Love the Black Christmas movies. There are a lot of cheesy Christmas 80s slashers that I'm a really big fan of. So it doesn't take much for me to be able to opt into it. There are a lot of things in this movie that are slash-worthy. So Rain Edwards as Cody. She was in Hellfest. Absolutely love this woman the gore and the level of camp we get at the end in that third act was slash worthy but this movie just is built on so much potential and it squanders a lot of that potential on its way to a fun thrill ride of, of an ending and i think the work that they put into their antagonist doesn't really pay off when the whole journey is executed the way that it is i think the acting aside from those two women left much to be desired. Actress, actually, the kid who played Tate is cute. He's fine. This movie is a swing and a miss, and it's more miss than uh, actual, like, good, solid contact. So for that, it's getting a hack. 
And with that, Pilgrim from 2019 has earned three hacks and one slash from the turkey carving knife for Alexis. Now, obviously, you can find this movie chilling on Hulu. Go check it out, see for yourself, then join us in the second half so we can see whose side you're on. See you in a bit. No turkey in your oven? It's no longer a problem with Where's the Beak? Our crack team of gnomes makes it easy to find a hot turkey dinner. Find a family dinner tonight with our app and dump some gravy on your face while no one's looking. Miss Aunt Martha's baked lambskin stuffing? Nobody makes it like she does, but that doesn't mean you have to skip the belly-filling fun of America's fattest holiday. Just select your geographic preferences and we'll take care of the rest. You could go to a potluck or host your own event, but who has time for that? Show up, unbuckle your belt, and load up on your host's mashed and buttered decapitated daddy casserole. If you're down on your luck and the only Thanksgiving dinner you have is a banana in an empty kitchen, Where's the Beak will connect you to a nearby family willing to fill your belly. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for Pilgrim from 2019, which has earned three hacks and one slash. Now, we have a lot to get to here, but before we get into the specifics of this Thanksgiving treat, we have the matter of gore to attend to. Alexis, what's the gore score for this movie? So, Chris, before the spoiler break, you were talking about that third act, and that's where you get a lot of this gore and a lot of, you know, projectiles stuff coming out of mouths. Um, I'm sure I know it's blood. <laughs> well, it looked like it just looked like water, but there's a lot that happens in that third act. So I said it was medium because to me that if you just take that part, it's, it's a pretty decent amount. Enough to, like, make someone's stomach upset, make someone cringe. I'm sure you were cringing too, Chris, right? No, not really. Even when the little boy was throwing up? No, I mean, it's unpleasant to look at. But again, you guys think that I have this, like, I need to throw up when I see someone throw up. I don't like looking at it, but I'm okay. Clam chowder mixed with orange juice. Okay, (laughs) the idea of that psychologically makes me imagine it in my head. Therefore, I do kind of want to puke. Hearing that shit, sure. Not the retching sounds, but, like, just knowing what the ingredients are, disgusting. Seeing this little kid just, like, spit some stuff up, whatever. I'm surprised you're grading this on a medium because right before the blood puking starts, you get roasted rib cage. And that was pretty pretty gross. I guess I'm thinking of the action of gore, like, how bloody are things? I mean, yeah, you got the crow. That looks pretty gross. I don't know. Maybe I just don't think cannibalism is that gory. But the the head on the plate like definitely looks like you know those like party tricks where someone has like a table with a hole cut out. Oh, for sure. It's worse when you start watching the post credit scenes and you see the bloopers of him just smiling and nodding. Yeah, it's obvious. That's exactly what it was. Was the table with a hole cut out, and it was it just makes it even sillier. So I I, I now I can appreciate your medium score. Yeah, there you go. Just a little bit. I, I just that dining room scene is kind of crazy. You know, they you get from being poisoned to everyone dying in that room, and then you get some action with Ethan and Patience's death. So I'm interested to see what you guys are going to say for your favorite death. Okay, so mine is Shane. I get it. Yeah, roasted rib cage. Obviously, he looks like Anakin Skywalker on Mustafar after he lost the high ground. But it wasn't even his head on the platter or his rib cage being served up and eaten. It was actually, for me, 
his his death of falling down the camera looking from like a pov shot hatchet to the camera with blood on the screen or red on the screen i loved that i loved the uh changing up of angles that we got there chris i love that you loved that because that frees up me to go for my favorite kill which was patience which time that she died do you ask who's to say when she initially got stabbed through the hand and deep into the brain with that like little ice pick or whatever that was. And she just goes, I'm fine. I actually cracked up because I was like, but you are not fine. And then she like pulls it out and is somehow still alive, which does not make a damn bit of sense to me. We need to call a doctor and find out what the medical truth of that is. Uh, and then later we get this great scene where she's like vomiting blood onto a cabinet that a child is inside while techno music blasts for no reason. Oh, she also got beaten in the face with that one head of the dad. And it was like, nothing could take her down. <laughs> and I just thought that she was like really putting up a great fight. Well, I'm glad that my kill wasn't taken. And it was an earlier one, but it was the chonky pilgrim who got killed by the family, you know, because as we've said before, the family who slays together stays together. And they, they had that moment, you know, that Chris quoted in the intro, but I like that they were just like, get all the weapons, you know, find something. But they had that great sequence, which was completely out of place for the rest of the movie. But it was like a Sam Raimi moment where they focuses in on their hands, like grabbing a weapon and getting ready to fight. And I always love that. Like Guy Ritchie does it a ton as well. And I just, that style of like focus on the hand, grabbing a thing really quick and then coming back. A lot of fun, I, I think. It was very dramatic. It was very camp. I wrote that part down. I said, well, they're doing it. Okay. I feel like, yes, that third act, a lot of the deaths are camp, especially this mass carnage of the pilgrims, which I do appreciate because I was not expecting that twist at all. My favorite death is an almost death, and that's the mom in this movie, stepmom, mom, Anna, right when Ethan is about to slice her throat, and he goes, fetch me a large bowl to catch the blood, which... Is referential, I feel like, when I was thinking about it, to our conversation on what's a vessel to throw up in. So I was like, oh, this is that Tupperware that people are throwing up in. That's what they're using to catch the blood. The puke bowl. Well, it's a good thing you were not puking up blood from eating Jerusalem cherries. I agree with that. And to me, that was my favorite visual was as cheesy as it might be, which goes along with this movie, is when they're doing that vomit. And it just was, to me, funny. I like the practical effects that they're using for this. And it's utterly ridiculous. But the look of it, I mean, very liquidy. I would not know what vomiting blood like that looks like. But I did like the practical effects for that. Viscous. Yeah, no, I was going to say viscous. This is the first time I'm realizing he was saying Jerusalem cherries because every time they said it, I thought they were saying true summer cherries. And I was like, what the fuck is that? That makes a lot more sense. I'm glad you enjoyed the projectile vomiting of blood and gore as your visual. I totally respect that. And again, there's a lot in this movie that's done really, really well visually. But my favorite was a really little silly thing, and it's the little rainbow turkey animation. We get to have things kick off in the very beginning. Doesn't quite top that. You really just started at the top with that little rainbow turkey. Yeah, I struggled on this question. So I can tell you what I didn't like. And what I didn't like was the green tint that we get a ton throughout the movie. I hate that element in movies. Ooh. And it bothers me. And I don't know if anyone else caught it, but I think opening up into the movie, we see it, and it just like... 
Ah, oh, bothered me. In terms of things I liked, I don't, I don't know if there's anything I could pick out. Like, aside from that, and aside from some of the editing choices they made, the movie does look pretty good. Like, like you've mentioned, Chris, cinematography considered, like it, it, it looks pretty good. Some of the choices that they made in editing, though, truly bother me. They have a good couple, like, shots where they do things like, you know, when they focused on the hands grabbing the weapons, that was cool. When they focused on slicing the dad's hand as he fell out the window, like that was a great shot as well. I honestly wish the camera had followed him all the way down to the ground. That would have been so cool if they had been able to make that happen. But there is something that visually bugs me and it's the costumes of the pilgrims because this is so silly. If they're trying to be accurate, pilgrims didn't really wear black and white. It was mostly earth tones. That was the thing that they would wear back then. And so it's just like, you guys really didn't commit. So it it mostly bothers me about the characters, not the filmmakers. Max, it was all they had at Party City. Exactly. Those like Party City gold square buckles on the shoes that they like hot glued on. He stole it from the leprechaun guy. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Buckles also weren't in vogue. Uh, during the pilgrim's time either not quite yet so that's also another indicator this is just a costume like you mentioned that they bought from party city so you're telling me those hats that i made when i was like in kindergarten and first grade are not actual replicas (laughs) the thing is this is still probably going on in school so maybe someone should educate others (laughs) circling back to hot glue did anybody else notice the extreme close-up of the jerusalem cherries that were clearly all glued together I said, why do an extreme close-up if you didn't put the work into the prop? Um, But I do have some good visuals to talk about. I think the one that will stay with me most of all is Patience Churning Butter, but it's blood. Uh, I grew up mostly in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, amongst the Amish. And while that kill really made no sense at all, like what was in there, not really sure. Seeing like a, a colonial woman churning blood in a churn was fun, and I'll think of that fondly for days to come. It's not cranberry sauce. Yeah. Uh, there was also one other visual. As the backyard became more and more pilgrimy, as the shed was erected and more things were built, I noticed that they, like, put leaves and, like, reeds into the pool, like, to make it look more, like, I don't know, the natural pond. And I thought that that was hilarious. And also looked kind of good. Like, you could make your pool a little bit spicier if you added some natural elements that's they they definitely got like martha stewart's latest magazine before they went over there to uh to start decorating i i do have to ask though paris could you believe it's not blutter oh my god mac i knew there was something there and i couldn't find it oh no wait blutter churn i did actually write that but i like yours more you mentioned the pool and I didn't quite pick up on the the nuance I should have with appreciating how they decorated the pool throughout the movie and how it just progressively got more and more pilgrimy. But I will say one of the scenes that stood out to me, it wasn't necessarily a favorite one, but I think one of the more intense ones for me was Cody being dunked into the pool because that's such a special brand of torture. And there was that point where I was genuinely concerned for her life. I was not convinced she was actually going to make it out, which would have been bullshit. Yeah, I when they started doing the donkey thing, I was like, "Oh, they're gonna. This is how they're gonna end the movie. Is like everyone's gonna die in the film, and they're they're gonna try to prove some point with that because she literally looks like she's drowning every single time they do it. It also felt like even though she was getting air every couple seconds, like somehow she was drowning more each time, and I was like, huh. I was confused by the mechanics of that. And I was also just like, stop letting all of that air out of your mouth. I think what we can't see is that in the... Okay, this is going to be one of the dumbest things I ever say. (laughs) 
in the real time of the fictional movie, I think what they are trying to show us, and obviously you have to cut back and forth and like create the illusion of time passing. I think she was held under longer every time. Each time she went down, she's down there even longer than the one time she was before. And I don't have the lung capacity for that. So my heart goes out to you. I can never remember if you're supposed to like hyperventilate before that happens. Like if you're about to have to be forced into water, if you're supposed to hyperventilate to get more oxygen in your brain or not. I never remember. I don't want to think about it. I'd rather just not do that. Yeah, I, I definitely don't want my head dunked underwater by anybody, but specifically when I'm tied to something where I can't get off of it. That's frightening. Yeah, totally. My favorite scene is, is an earlier one, uh, simply because I had to pick one. So um, I chose to pick the party scene in the beginning because I, I think it really tries to set up what's wrong with this family and what's wrong with the community. It's trying to show how fake everybody is and like what they care about and, what, and the fact that what they care about doesn't really matter. And it does show... Oddly that this one mom has control over the entire like group of friends, which is really strange. I don't understand why she's able to push herself on them, but, um, you know, HOA captain of, uh, captain of whatever else family things, parent things she's into. I get it. They respect her, I guess, but whatever. If somebody told me you're going to take this person, I wouldn't do it. Um, if somebody made me come to this crappy party, I'd probably leave after like saying hello. So I don't get it, but. I just love that they like took the time to point out that people are aware of how fake she is, and she's probably aware of how fake she is. I mean, I think she kind of gets there in the film. Like, yeah, I know it's, you know, but she's trying to like prove to herself that she has a good thing. And uh, she's aware of it. She's thankful. You know, she tries to tell him over and over before he wants to kill her. Like, dude, I get it. I have, I have good stuff, but we're imperfect and we want more. I just, I like the fact that they took the time to show the dynamic between her and her neighbors. Yeah. And that's what I can appreciate about this movie is how immersive it is in its dialect, in the setting of the movie and just the things that they chose to bring about in this where you really feel like you're there. Hopefully you're not dying in this, but you're definitely there. My favorite scene is like essentially collectively all the sounds where there's something in the distance and this goes along with the immersion is you actually feel and maybe it was because I had my headphones on today watching this on my laptop, but I really felt immersed in this movie because one, I can't hear things ever. So now I have to wear headphones when I'm watching things, but I do have the subtitles on on the bottom. So I can read along, but it really felt like it was in the background. And I like that depth that you get even with the sound in this movie. I, I did think for a minute that my neighbors were talking in that party scene I mentioned because like there's some background noise. And I was like, I swear that's not the movie. Yeah. And there's another, a few other things. And I was like, wait, is this this movie or is this happening outside of these headphones at this point? <laughs> I didn't hear any of this. I also didn't hear any of this. But something I did hear actually made for my favorite scene which is the scene where Patience makes that spooky tea for Catherine. The reason that this is my favorite scene is because Patience, giving the backstory of this whole, like, pilgrim bullshit, was the most compelling I ever found this story to be. And I think that she could have carried this movie on her own. If given the chance, I think Ethan, get fucked. We don't need him here. He did nothing for me except creep me out with his diddling vibes. But I think Patience had a lot of potential. And in addition to like really bringing me into her world with that monologue, as she's like obviously making this super clearly poisoned tea, um, she also ended up being my favorite character in the whole movie. And it wasn't Anna. I don't know why y'all thought it was Anna. She was awful. I don't know why you like Patience. 
Oh my god, she was like the best actress in the movie. Really? Wouldn't die. Had the best lines. She felt very stiff. Oh yeah, but that was like kind of it. Also, she was in Ready or Not. She didn't feel like Pilgrim stiff though. She felt like you are a burden to exist in this world. Yeah, I like that. I think you bring up a good point though that she was like almost able to ground Ethan and make him a sympathetic killer. And I think they really should have explored that. It would have made this movie like two hours, 20 minutes and not one hour, 20 minutes. But if they had spent more time making you think like, oh, he's, he's trying to do like a social thing to improve people's lives um, and then show him like kill people, you would feel a bit, a bit torn. But they just kind of like gave you like a little tidbit and like had her monologue a little bit. And then it was just like, cool, I'm gonna eat some peeps. Yeah. And for all of the gratitude bullshit Ethan was spewing, patience actually made me feel a little bit more grateful for the shit I had during that monologue. I was like, you know what? I, I do have a lot. I would agree that she could have carried the movie on her own, for sure. I don't know why she was your favorite character. I, just, I mean, I hear your explanation. I don't logically understand it. But I do think that between her and Ethan, she was the more menacing of the two. And honestly, Ethan was just unbearable. But of course, if you're going to be a pilgrim impersonator or you know, whatever. You can't live outside of the confines of the patriarchy. So I guess we had to have Ethan somehow. And maybe that really is just the point of it all. But my favorite character in this is obviously Cody calling everybody out on their bullshit the entire runtime. I do like the way no one is questioning anyone but her. And everyone seems to think, oh, they're just in character. And she is calling out everyone's bullshit. And I like how it's a single character doing that. Absolutely. They made choices here. And, you know, there's a point where he tries to kiss her hand. She's like, oh, no, none of that. Thanks. Just rejects him because she has bodily autonomy. But there's a point where Anna says, where else would they stay? She says, a motel comes to mind. We don't know them. Exactly. Very straight up, plain fucking language. What the hell are y'all doing? Yes. Very every day. What someone would say if this were a situation in their life. I didn't hate the characters at all. You know, I think someone or possibly people watching this could say it was shallow, but I feel like there wasn't much to go off for the runtime of this movie. I do wish, and you know how I like a little bit more explanation. I feel like Ethan should have been more menacing, but I do like how it was patience. But I wish they could have gave some more background to what they've done. Maybe show some other kills from previous families that this has happened with, or at least maybe not show it, but allude to it. And I think that would make this group a little bit more menacing because honestly, neither of them did it for me, but the people surrounding the table, the other pilgrims, they were to me more menacing than them two combined. Okay. So I don't know that I would have needed a lot of backstory as to why they're doing anything. I don't think I want any of that. I think they'd ruin it. Here's what I would have loved. The implication that every single one of their pilgrims was someone they collected from a family. Oh, that's cute. That would be freaking great. I thought things were headed that way for a minute. And then they'd fucking botch the landing again. They didn't even make it to the 80-20 rule. They got 75% of, of the way there, and then someone botched the last quarter of it. Yeah, because it really showed them connecting with her, like talking about the fact that she was having a hard time, you know, with Thanksgiving because of her mom and dad fighting and then her mom leaving. And then, oh, well, Ethan had a really bad upbringing or whatever. And he's like kind of sore about Thanksgiving. So I was like, oh, they're totally targeting to bring her on and become part of this crew and uh, let down. Yeah. They're just going to eat people. Here are our pamphlets. We meet 
thrice weekly. Here's a jacket. Honestly, they, they felt like that. It felt very recruiting effort, honestly. Yeah, when in doubt, just sprinkle in cannibalism when you don't know what to do, right? A shout out, though, to Anna, who proved to be multidimensional. I was really expecting her to just be really annoying and be the same note throughout the whole movie. But when she quickly caught, well, I would say quickly, it's not really. She still allowed them into the home, which is a sign of her not catching on quickly at all. But when she finally acknowledges Cody was right. I should have listened to her. And she knows that things are going on and she's trying to tell Shane that things are going on. We saw her change so much. Like, Cody, I felt, was consistent the whole way through and just a fucking badass. But Anna, I feel, actually had some change in a reasonable way, which I really appreciated. Yeah, she literally said, like, oh, I just got so caught up in my own BS. It's like she realized that she was at fault here. I felt like that wasn't very earned. I felt like it was told. And we always talk about that. But it was like she goes from being like an insufferable character, ruining the lives of everyone in her vicinity, to being like, oh, oops, I fucked up. Now I'm on your side. And I was like, really? Give me more. Give me texture. Give me depth. It's a tight 120, Paris. You can have one or the other, not both. I know. <laughs> <laughs> With that, She hit that threshold, though, where it was like, okay, they're sticking around. It's weird. They say strange things. It's fine. People started changing her home, and it was game over. She knew that the jig was up. Not right away. She was fine with the shed, and she was fine with removing all of the lights and replacing them with candles. (laughs) Well, a ton of people are into that these days, so she probably thought, like, oh, this is cool. It's, like, you know, earthy or whatever. (laughs) They were goop candles. Cottage couture. Yeah, very cottage core. When it comes to best part, worst part, I'm going to give a little of each. I'm going to say the best part of this movie is the really interesting i'd say unpredictable use of music in the final act specifically the techno music that's blaring while patients vomits blood all over a child inside of a cabinet and then also the dramatic musical cue of the choir as they bring in the cloche with the dad's head underneath it and they go through that reveal i thought that was like so bizarre and so odd but i was like i was like pretty happy with the choices that they made there i gotta give a worse part though it's the use of the fisheye lens they did way too much with that goddamn fisheye to the point where I was like, I'm not even somebody who's prone to motion sickness, but I could see myself throwing up if I keep watching this. And I thought they were doing it to be like, oh, this is all in a dream now because Cody fell asleep and then we're going to wake up afterwards. And I really thought that that was what was going on until the very final scene. And I was like, so they're not going to do that. This was all happening. And they just decided to throw on a fisheye for the last 25% of the movie. Every time there's a new budding photographer who discovers a quality fisheye lens, they overuse the hell out of it. It was very that. When at the very end, he asks her, like, did you get what you wished for? I legitimately was like, oh, they're going to end it as being a dream at that point. Yeah. There's only one good kind of wishbone, and that's the dog who was a sleuth and a storyteller. The wishbone angle was all lost because it wasn't he also holding the wishbone in his hand. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think at some point in this movie, there were a bunch of wishbones, so... Several wishbones, inconsequential. Best part of this movie, for me, was the relationship between Cody and Tate. I really appreciated that. I really appreciated how she looked out for him, and he wasn't just, like, the annoying little brother that uh, gets in the way the whole time or causes unnecessary distraction. He was really buying into Ethan's crap, which I wasn't a fan of, but it was honestly... Great child actor. He really walked a fine line there. Worst part of the movie was Shane. Your boy's been in too many movies to be acting this terribly. 
But go back to Tate for a minute, because I swear that he was laughing under the cupboard when she was puking all over. <laughs> oh, I thought he was grimacing and crying. Oh, I misread his facial cues. Well, you are an android. That's that's true. I struggled to find the best part, so I'm just going to say my worst part that I that I was very obvious to me, and I've mentioned it earlier, the editing of this. The whole like instant replay thing, like... It's a very Saw-esque kind of move to like go back in time, but they didn't go back like 20 minutes earlier. They went back literally 10 seconds early and re-showed you the same thing like over and over, sometimes from a different angle. Um, they had really odd angles in some cases, especially when they showed somebody doing something evil. They would like have that like upwards facing shot and or downwards facing shot. It was extreme angles and, you know, it just didn't work for me. And, and kind of like Paris mentioned, there's some shots that would make you motion sick. And those things like didn't fit into the rest of the movie. So I feel like it demanded more of like a wide shot and slow moving like actors kind of like only God forgives with Ryan Gosling. Um, but instead we get this like more fast paced shots when, when we have to see somebody's like doing something bad and it just didn't work for me whatsoever. So th- the editing choices they made for certain parts of the movie really ruined it for me because the rest of the movie, um, visually actually looked really good. And that I could say is the best part is that aside from the bad parts, it all looked pretty decent. Paris, worst part for me was the music, though. Oh, really? Yes, especially when they brought the dad's head down. And I think this goes back to how I felt during this movie was very disjointed. And I think because between the camera lens, between the music choices, between the cuts, I wasn't sure how I was supposed to feel. Was I supposed to laugh was i supposed to be in suspense like i I just wasn't sure and i know the music really spoke out to that feeling for me but i probably will not watch this movie again though i mean i've seen it i've done it i i know the experience but i will definitely go back and watch some more movies in this into the dark series that they have because you know i love some holiday themed horror well, I don't really like the taste this movie left in my mouth. And I really love a lot of things that Blumhouse has done. This one is a hard pass for me, though. I can't imagine I'm going to willingly dive into the rest of the Into the Dark series. Unless I hear that one of them is absolutely incredible. Maybe then I'll do it. But otherwise, I'm good. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to watch this again. I'm not even going to go back to see that little end credit scene. You're not missing out on much. It was a single image that kind of left things in suspense. But now that Chris mentioned, it's very underwhelming. Okay, yeah. Just for our listener, don't get yourself worked up. The employee who pitched this idea and ended up co-writing this story was about eight years old. His mom was president of the fucking PTA, got a group of pilgrim uh, first Thanksgiving reenactors to put on a performance. One of the pilgrims ended up staying at his house for a couple days and didn't break character the whole time he was there. That is the story. No homicide, no creepiness, no nothing. It's just one guy being a pilgrim telling stories about the Mayflower. So really, a great actor. Yeah, I really hyped that ending up a lot so i apologize to our listeners you know i think blumhouse like generally has like pretty decent stuff i even enjoyed seven in heaven i don't know if you if you've all seen that before but it was also a kind of a silly premise but i think very entertaining probably more sci-fi related in a way which is why i liked it this one though i gotta say no thank you one serving was enough well let's see if we can get a serving of something else in fact or fiction indeed you can And so this one, we're going to go back to something that, you know, Alexis mentioned earlier. Wild turkeys can fly for over a mile. I'm just going back to my kindergarten turkeys, and I feel like there's a lot going on in the back. 
with the feathers. They got a little feathery, colorful junk in the trunk, so I feel like this is a fiction. I'm going to say fact, because, like, turkeys in the wild are different from turkeys in captivity, maybe. Actually, uh, miles of long distance, whatever, fact. This is indeed a fact. The turkeys that we eat were bred to be thick for more food value, so they cannot soar like their wild relatives can. Interestingly enough, due to this breeding, turkeys have literally doubled in heftiness over the last 40 years. That makes me very sad. Is that only in America? Well, I don't know. I don't know if other countries breed their turkeys for consumption the way that we do, or if we just export all the turkey meat for the world. Mm, interesting. Oh, wait, there's literally that alcohol called wild turkey that has like a skinny snatched turkey on the cover or on the label. Okay, so Ryan made a hot chicken. We need to make her a hot turkey. Yeah, somebody <laughs> somebody make that graphic or somebody text Ryan right now and tell him to make it for us. But We need a snatched turkey tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Wild turkeys might be airborne, but turkeys are formidable on land, too, running at over 20 miles an hour. Uh, this is probably a fact. They look terrifying, and they look fast. Yeah, no, I've seen turkeys run. It's wild. This is fact. This one's a fiction. I stressed it a little bit. They can run pretty fast, but only around 12 miles an hour. So, oh, God damn it. I still wouldn't want to be chased by one. They will attack a human being, uh, but not quite 20. Number three, the first Thanksgiving was much longer than the three-hour binge fest we celebrate prior to crashing on the couch. I'm talking a whopping six days to celebrate. Feasting and saying thanks, bruh. The murder, the genocide. Fact. Fact. This one's a fiction. So it was longer than one day, but it was only around like three days long for this massive feast. Now, if they had our grocery stores back then, yeah, it would have been like two weeks long. Number four, the first Thanksgiving might have included turkey, but it was pretty much a sausage fest. There were only four women in Plymouth at the time. Now I got your... <laughs> it took me a second to understand what you meant. <laughs> no, I feel like they brought a lot of women. I mean, they were bringing their whole family, so I think this is a fiction. Let's divide and conquer, Alexis. I'm going to say fact. It is a fact. Many wives were left behind because they were considered too weak to help build a colony, and they'd be sent for once things were like you know fully set up. Some of the few that did come died, just like some of the guys died, due to the perils of the new world. Yay, feminism. Right. And finally, number five. If it was up to Benjamin Franklin, the turkey would have become our national bird instead of that bird of bad moral character, the bald eagle. This is fairly interesting, so I feel like it's a fact. I'm going to say fiction because maybe it wasn't Ben Franklin's decision at all. It was George Bush's. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so this one's a fact. Um, so he didn't like that eagles would steal food from other birds, and he considered the turkey brave, respectable, and a true American native. So if it was his decision, we'd have the turkey. Okay, but how on brand that we went with the eagle who famously steals from others? <laughs> I know. It's a perfect match. And that's been Fact or Fiction. Well, there you have it, folks. Pilgrim from 2019 has not managed to steal good favor from us this evening, earning three hacks and one slash. While we've certainly had a robust discussion here, it doesn't end here by any means. Obviously, there are a lot of layers of storytelling in this film and uh, a lot that you could reach for if you want to examine it and compare it against the first Thanksgiving. But keep in mind there are a number of ways you can reach out to us, starting with our website, hackerslash.live, or on our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Alternatively, you can also reach out to the Hackerslash hotline. You can leave us a voicemail at 757-606-0128. That number's down in the show notes. Or you can visit hackerslash.live to send us an audio message. Or if you've drank wild turkey and eaten a wild turkey, you can send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. 
If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons like Alex. You can visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, you're too focused on your electronic windows to nowhere. Bye. Bye.